Good evening from Charlotte. I'm James Briarton, and welcome to an all-new edition of the Carolina Weather Group for this November the 17th, 2021. Our guest this week is Dr. Tracy Fernara. We're going to talk about oceanic dead zones, red tide, and space exploration. It's a fun conversation that you've never seen before here on the Carolina Weather Group and is coming away in just moments. We had lots of fun with Dr. Tracy, and we couldn't fit all of it in this 30-minute episode of the Carolina Weather Group. So for just a dollar at patreon.com slash Group, you can unlock the extended cuts from this conversation. We had such a blast, and we thank Dr. Tracy for coming on by. Now, here it is, our conversation with Dr. Tracy Fanara. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening, and we are happy to have back Miss Tracy Fanara, Dr. Tracy Fanara. Uh, if you remember, goodness, Tracy, I think, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago we had you on. We were talking about red tide and, and the effects that was going on in Florida, and so uh, I know you've been busy since then, so we're happy to have you back on. Uh, appreciate you joining us. So, uh, Tracy, for those uh, folks who are new listeners or new subscribers to the podcast, uh, would you let everyone know about your journey in science? And I mean, it, it's covering a lot of things. I mean, you've got your hands in so many things. So maybe tell us about uh, your journey in science and what all you're doing or what all you have done. Well, that is, I hope we have some time. No, I'll, I'll try to make it as short as possible. So, so I got into science because I learned about a hazardous waste dump site where I was growing up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, industries had been dumping toxins into canal ways that were leaching into groundwater and soils. And people started building houses and schools and there were birth defects and cancer clusters. And, and even though it happened before I was born learning about this, I realized how everything in the world is connected. And then later on in life, when I learned that unsafe drinking water was the world's leading killer among children, I just, that's when I realized I found my passion. Like I needed to do something, not just wanted. I wasn't taking a career path like that. I found passion. Um, so I heard about this field of study where you can provide enough food, clean water, clean air. You can build and design things. And I was like, sign me up. I want to be a superhero. So I became an environmental engineer and I've done a lot with it. So I, at first I worked in, um, uh, you call it land development, but really it was water resources. I was really focused on stormwater design. Um, my master's was focused on uh, pollutant transport through stormwater. So I was storm chasing, but not to not to throw stuff up in tornado. That would be pretty boring in Florida. Uh, but to capture runoff from these storm events um, of all sizes up to hurricane um, amounts of water. And then we would put that water through, we designed um, kind of conveyance that would have that stormwater runoff go through a filter media that we developed. And then we would take, take analysis, uh, data before and after and see how well the filter media did. I took, I took the, the lowest paying job I was offered. And the reason why I did that is because my marine laboratory was going to allow me to do both communication and and research, you know, changing behavior really comes down to enhancing scientific literacy of the general public. And, and it starts at your home, you know, communicating, um, communicating to your family, but, but teaching kids 
is really effective. And then teaching the public is, is extremely effective, especially when it comes to areas that, that are prone to environmental crises, like Southwest Florida and Florida Red Tide. And now I am the Coastal Modeling Manager uh, at the National Ocean Service of NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, where I am working with academia, industry, other government agencies to, to basically cover our entire coast with models so that we can predict uh, threats to lives and livelihoods with this changing world that we're in right now. Um, when did you go ahead and transition into, into one of our leading topics tonight? Uh, and that's going to be the dead zone. So, you know, we look at 2021, we look at how we identify the dead zone. What is it? And, um, you know, how are they created? So let's start with that. I think that's a good topic to dive right into. Yeah. So there's, there's two examples that I always talk about, about how everything in the world is connected. And one of them is the, the Saharan dust coming over the Gulf of Mexico, feeding a marine cyanobacteria that then dies, goes to the ocean bottom and feeds Florida red tide. The second one is the Gulf of Mexico dead zone. 40% of the U.S., part or all of 32 states, drain to the Mississippi Atchafalaya watershed. That water comes out to the Gulf of Mexico. A lot of fresh water sits on top of that. Salt water doesn't allow for mixing. On top of that, this water that's coming in is very nutrient heavy. So nitrogen and phosphorus, which you think would be a good thing, right? But of course, too much of a good thing is, is not a good thing, like chocolate cake or donuts or ice cream. Um, but, I don't but, know. Those, those sound pretty good. <laughs> Talk about your all-time tangents. Right. <laughs> so, so all that nutrients comes into the Gulf of Mexico um, and allows for algae blooms to form. They grow like crazy with all of that food. And when they die, that process uptakes oxygen in the process. So not only do you not have that mixing, now these algae blooms dying and decaying is further uptaking that oxygen. So we have low to no oxygen throughout the water column. And this, this dead zone is the second largest in the world. And this year it's predicted to be, or I think it was around 6,000 square miles, something like that. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's crazy because the shellfish farmers, people that, that really depend on our coastal systems for, for their quality of life and for their living um, are so impacted by this. And how the big challenge is, how do we get a farmer in Iowa to care about a shellfish farmer in the Gulf of Mexico? Yeah. Um, and I know Frank's going to probably dive into some more details about red tide in general. In general, how's, how would a tropical season feed into uh, a more active dead zone period? When you have tropical systems or a lot of rainfall, you have a lot more runoff. And a lot more runoff means a lot more nutrients. And that coming into the Gulf of Mexico could mean a worse dead zone. But when we have a really active hurricane season, uh, or a lot of upwelling, these, these events can actually mix the water column, bringing oxygen throughout the water column and lessening the dead zone. It, it's the same thing with, with red tide. Um, when we have a hurricane coming through, we never know if it's going to get worse or, or better. It really depends on, on the wind direction, uh, the intensity of the storm, how far down in the water column there is mixing. 
um, and the, the conditions following and during the storm with the, all that runoff coming in. So, Tracy, bringing this into a North Carolina, South Carolina kind of conversation, are there localized dead zones that we could see like off of Cape Fear from uh, fertilizer runoff in the eastern Carolinas? I'm just honest, obviously on a much more a much smaller scale. Yeah, I mean, these dead zones can really occur anywhere and there are algae blooms throughout that coastline. So so it's very possible that dead zones would occur. Um, I don't know how regular they are sure. and if they can be predicted, but, but I know that university of South Carolina, they do a lot with, with predicting, um, the elevation of bacteria cells and algae blooms, which would then perhaps suggest hypoxia or that low to no oxygen. So, so that's who I would go to. Um, yeah. University of South Carolina does a lot of really good work on our coast. Awesome. Yeah. Go Gamecocks. Yeah, about the Gamecocks. Yeah. 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 Well, Evan, um, I mean, just just to, to that point, we've seen red tide here in the Charleston area. It's very seldom that it happens, but it has. And, and there's been a couple of bad years where it shut down our shellfish farms and just ruined our entire oyster season for that year. Wow. So I know, that? it takes it takes a lot of doldrum activity and stagnant highs. Like, you know, instead of having a, a typical sea breeze, which moves the water and, think, you know, flushing in and out of the coast with your your um typical tide rates. If you get a lot of heavy rains and storm runoff, and then you get flood tides on top of that all at one time, it can just create a really bad cesspool. And it floods these, these barrier islands and all the um, estuarine areas and takes animal feces and everything off of those and mixes all this stuff into the water. So it's like, it's almost like you flush the coast and then that's what happens, you know? So, oh, yeah. yeah. So I shouldn't swim at North Folly during those years. Not when we get a ton of rainfall, like Florence, luckily it was to our north, but it was, I think they were dealing with some of that up in the Santee area where that water just, you know, when you just get a lot of rainfall and a lot of runoff and your watershed's full for an elongated period of time, that's, yeah, that can, that can trigger it for us. Yeah. Don't I don't want to gross Google. you out too much, but, uh, but it's, you know, so a lot of the time it's human feces too, because mm-hmm. when you have, when you're on the coast and you have that inundation and infiltration from, from that, that groundwater rising, inundating those pipelines and any kind of crack crevice that water will, will percolate into, and then you'll exceed that capacity at the wastewater treatment plants and they'll have to release and, and, you know, people in Bradenton thought it only happened to them. People in Sarasota thought it only happened to them. Same thing with Tampa, same thing yeah. with San Diego and LA and, and Brooklyn and Manhattan, but this happens throughout the entire coast. I'm glad yeah. I went to the beach last weekend and wasn't planning on going this weekend because I was <laughs> going to stay with me for a minute. Well, James, it's just a different flavor of Carolina sweet tea. <laughs> so, but there, the good thing about that, the bacteria counts is that the health departments at most or all states have regular sampling so they can alert the public and close down a beach if those numbers are elevated. Frank, you don't have questions about poop, do you? Well, maybe one will come up, but uh, my questions <laughs> have more to do about red tide, actually. And uh, so we're going to I, I want to start out, Tracy, by sort of taking a step or two back here uh, and uh, talking more about the basics of red tide, because I, I think a lot of our audience, since we don't have red tide very often here in the Carolinas along our coast, uh, just explain the basics uh, for starters. 
what red tide is, uh, where it does generally occur. You hear most of it here, mostly about it in Florida, but it does occur in other places, even here in the Carolinas. So uh, why don't you just uh, tell us some of the more, the more basic things about the red tide? There are things called red tide all over the world, but Florida red tide is specific to the species called Karenia brevis, which is endemic to the Gulf of Mexico. So you don't find Karenia brevis anywhere else. Because uh, the conditions are just perfect for this species. Now, this this species is a slow grower, meaning that it's outcompeted close to shore. So these blooms originate offshore at the ocean bottom and are brought closer to shore by currents, upwelling, and then currents. Um, and their power is really in numbers because they are slow growers. They are outcompeted, but when they're in lots of numbers, like millions of cells per liter that's when their toxin that they're releasing can really start to have these mass wildlife fatalities. But they're like hundreds of thousands of pounds of fish that, you know, that were all inundated yeah, in tons, the Tampa Bay area. Tons of fish. Yeah. yeah. So these blooms are, are capable of mass wildlife fatalities and not just fish, you know, everything, manatees, uh, dolphins, sea turtles, sharks, and they affect them in different pathways. Uh, so the toxin, uh, affects us by blocking off our sodium channels, causing us to cough. Same thing happens with fish. Basically they suffocate and sharks are fish. So that's how they're impacted too. These blooms are, are mostly uh, between Tampa and, and down to Naples, but anywhere in the Gulf coast can experience these blooms. Now, because of the Florida loop current and the Gulf stream, these blooms have been carried up the East coast. Uh, I think around nine times so far throughout history, one time getting all the way up to Delaware which is pretty crazy to think about. And, and what causes these blooms to occur? Uh, what, what causes it to progress? And then what makes it go away? That's a great question. I'm so glad you added, you asked that. Um, so these blooms, as far as we know, have been happening for hundreds of years. There was anecdotal evidence of these blooms in the 1500s by Spanish explorers that talked about uh, shellfish poisoning and, and red waters. Uh, but we do get a bloom every single year. It's just that some years we have we have higher intensity and that loop current has something to do with it, but also uh, weather events. Now, when these blooms get close to shore, that's when they can use surface water nutrients to, to prolong these blooms and to intensify. And the thing is with Florida Red Tide, because there aren't picky eaters, when they start growing in numbers and they start these fish kills, they can actually feed themselves on the dying and decaying fish and on the dying and decaying perennial brevis, cyanobacteria or whatever else is there. Sort of a feedback loop there. Yes. Yes. They are, they do not have a brain and yet they are so clever. Okay. And finally, since we are the Carolina weather group, I want to ask you how weather affects uh, the red tide. Do we know of any particular weather conditions that can result in a bloom or can end a bloom of a red tide? And uh, you've already mentioned this a little bit, but I'll, I'll ask anyway, uh, tropical cyclones, hurricanes, uh, what kind of impact do they have uh, on either an ongoing uh, bloom or uh, when one isn't around, can it generate one? Weather events, you know, like hurricanes, have throughout history initiated blooms and have terminated blooms. And, and, and then all that rainfall on our, on our land, bringing that stormwater with high nutrients into our coastal waters can exacerbate an existing bloom. 
Uh, so weather does play a huge role. All right. That's all the red tide questions I have for you. So it's time for me to pass you on to Evan, who uh, is going to ask some uh, questions about uh, STEM and communication here. That's probably the, the fun part of this for you. So uh, Evan, take it away. Sure. Yeah. So continuing the fun conversation, uh, you're also really good with some of the younger crowd, um, my age and getting down into uh, some kids. You have the uh, some science wraps, which is super cool. Polar ice ice baby. I was just watching that one before the show. Uh, as well as you're a, a character in Seekers of Science. Am I getting that right? The comic series? Yeah. Um, that's super fun. How did that come about? Um, and can you give us a little bit more information on them? Yeah, so so Polar Ice Ice Baby was a, was a multi-year thing where I was just like writing it down and, you know, it was it was just something fun during car rides that I would do. And then I was like, you know what? Let's just do, let's just make a music video. Hi, I'm Kevin. Like Trey is here. All right, stop. You bubble date and listen. Trey is back on a brand new mission. Something that's debated tightly. Some say it's not real. Others say it's like. And that's what we did. And I have my second one written uh, and the music video recorded, but I haven't recorded the song yet, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but, but the comic that happened because after I was on Mythbusters, uh, Marvel had me in their uh, Unstoppable Wasp. They featured me in Unstoppable Wasp, me and my friend from Mythbusters. And a comic writer contacted us and asked us if we wanted to make our own comic. And of course we did. So so we started making Seekers of Science, which, I mean, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to be rapid response. I want to find environmental problems and solve them through principles of science. And, you know, in real life, it's a lot harder than that. Uh, but in the comic book, you can solve a problem in 26 pages. It's like a life that I wish I was leading, you know? It was fun. It was definitely fun. <laughs> Lastly, for me, we'd be remiss uh, if we didn't discuss your amazing inspiration to young women and girls in STEM. Um, what are some of your um, takeaways from your experience uh, and, and some of the recommendations that you would give to um, women and girls coming up in the world of STEM? Gosh, there's a lot. I have, um, I have these 10 lessons learned uh, mm -hmm. and I, I, I run a camp every summer for middle school girls in, in Tampa Bay. And, and I haven't quite tried, figured out how to implement these 10 things, but um but to summarize some that I can remember right now, it's, you know, going out of your comfort zone. You always have to go outside of your comfort zone. Um, be creative and play to your strengths. Uh, I started rapping in college. I was, I had to do the five-year program in three years and my grades weren't great, but I needed to pass. Uh, so, so I started getting creative with my presentations and that's when I started rapping. Um, and it, it saved my grade once and then it saved my grade twice and three times. So, so I'm really grateful for, for rapping. Uh, not that that's really my strength. It's just that it was different. It was creative and it stood out from the other presentations. Sure. Um, I shouldn't ask you to rap now. Is that what you're saying? No. She, she'd have to get a hat and put it on backwards. <laughs> yeah, the whole I mean, thing. You, totally, you totally can. <laughs> we don't have to. Can you tease the next one? You said you're, you're working. Yeah. On yeah. It's called Bloom Bloom Pow. No, wow. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty it's it's better than the last one, I think. I think. 
but Cantori was in my music video, so. Ooh. In Polaroid Size Baby. Witness the weather such a change. Quick like a ninja, rocks you like a hurricane so fast. Jim Cantori say, damn, if knowledge was a drug, I would teach it by the gram. So, That's awesome. <laughs> right. I don't know if we can beat that. We'll have to quiz him about that when we have him on the show later in the year. <laughs> but But overall, I think that the best advice that you can give a young person that is even the least bit interested. And you got to do this before seventh grade. I taught seventh grade science and, and now I know why that's such an important time. You got to tell them that it's not always going to be easy. Hmm. Like we all love what we're good at. So as soon as you get something that you're, that is hard when, when it used to be easy for you, you know, uh, through fourth grade, it might be shoot math might just, you might just whiz through it because your mom did a good job teaching you when you were younger, whatever the reason is. Mm-hmm. And then it suddenly gets hard. And it, and it's some of the people that some of the kids that got the best grades before that, that when it gets hard, they get scared. And that's when you lose them and they never want to do it again mm-hmm. because they were humbled in a way that they weren't expecting. So I think really telling telling kids that it's going to be hard and you just got to get through it. You're not going to like every class. You just got to get through it. You might hate some of them and it builds character and it makes you who you are and it makes coming out of it so much better. And as soon as you're done with it, that's when the fun starts. That's when you can start just doing what you want, but you got to get through that hard stuff. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. That's true. That's some wonderful advice. Thank you. Go ahead, James. I think we get to talk about rockets now. I know. (laughs) Save the best topic for last, maybe. But we talked about it a little before the show. And I'll ask you now officially on the record. What's the deal? You go to space? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. So so I'm, I'm really humbled to have made it so far with Dear Moon. Uh, that was so unexpected. You know, there are millions of people that applied. And then you get an email every step you pass, you go and do something, you know, you go to the next level, the next level, the next level. And and you kind of can't believe it's real because how did your application get picked out of all within dates? I don't even know how they did it. Like it was so fast, so fast. And my my I was not happy with my video because I didn't think that. I even stood a chance. There were hundreds of thousands of people that got to that stage. So I just put together something that I already had. I didn't make anything new. And I was like, this is terrible. Even, even my Instagram followers said it was terrible. They're like, they was Frank. Try again. <laughs> wow. Maybe they had your name on a short list already. They were waiting for you to apply. Right. Yeah. 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 But that, that's what, that's what was happening. They, they just, and for anybody who doesn't know, this is a SpaceX mission. Uh, a gentleman has bought a bunch of seats as I understand it, right. And he's trying to find some people to go with him to a mission to the moon, but not, not actually to not to right. the moon. Uh, right. The- Which was another thing that was miscommunicated. I'll tell you what, I thought <laughs> I was going to be the first woman on the moon. That would be exciting. Apparently that's not true. You know, I'd be loose, loosely. The word two is loose, I guess. In the, right. I would yeah. be the first woman to loop the moon. I mean, it is going farther than any human has gone. 
on that mission because it is going past the moon in order to loop it. Very cool stuff. At the same time, I think I'm ready to be a real astronaut, you know? I mean, that's a hell of a sightseeing tour, though. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I'm just trying to prepare myself just in case, you know? I don't know what I want to do, but I want to do something that's not just sitting there. They needed that on the last flight when the toilet broke. They needed somebody (laughs) with some know-how. No, you're exactly right. See that, (laughs) that, that I can do. (laughs) If you, Uh, I mean, all the things you need to survive an environmental engineer, like it's good to have around in those kind of situations where you might not survive if you don't have water or air. Did their toilet break on the last launch? Apparently the fan that creates the proper suction malfunctioned. So they had to be walked through, according to the article I read, obviously I wasn't there. Uh, they had to be walked through how to repair it. And then apparently it was further hampered by the radio blackouts. There's a great pun to be made there that I'll, I'll not say since we're recording, but that is unfortunate. <laughs> Everyone wants to know you go to the bathroom in space and they hear that the toilet's broken. Oh, man. That, very true. <laughs> it's a creepy situation. I I wonder what the uh, backup protocol is for when your space toilet fails. Is there like a space chamber pot or something or (laughs) chamber pot? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to derail this entire conversation, but I recently did long distance Amtrak and there was a point where we didn't have any power. They were changing. They were like, no one use the toilet. It is suction powered. Needless to say, somebody in the train car used the toilet and it was the longest hour of my life. <laughs> oh, man. So I wouldn't imagine what the spacecraft was like. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds terrible. Yeah, because they were gone for like three days, right? Yeah. So that would be long. I mean, is there training involved with this? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there is. I think that there's two years worth of training involved, at least. And and so, so it's funny. You know, I get... Um, don't tell anybody this because I'm not supposed to admit this, but I get a little sick spinning. So I've been practicing spinning. I've been doing these like pirouettes or whatever. And then I go on the playground and spin and then I get sick and then it ruins my night. Um, but it gets better every single time. And there's, there's these things that you can do to reduce your motion sickness. Your and, and they're games, they're games where you look at these, these figures and you figure out what's going on, you know, like they're simple games, but because it puts your eyes in different places and they're all like, um, there's a lot of, uh, what's it called where, where it looks like something, but it's not, it's really just. Oh, optical illusion. Yes. Optical illusion. And, and it actually helps. It actually helps these games. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So so I've been trying to get in moon shape and then I broke my toe and that wasn't, that wasn't ideal. I have a son and he's three. And so he likes to go to the park. And as a kid, I used to love the swings. Obviously there's a huge right. gap between when I was on the swings and now being on the swings with him. And I'm like, I don't remember being so motion sick on swings. Like <laughs> and now it makes me, I want to see James on a swing. Now we need some video of this next time. Yes, we do. Because for those uh, who don't know, James is very tall, so the legs, they got to be dragging, yeah, right? It's a big leg workout to have to hold my legs up, especially when 
anyway, that's neither here or there. Um, before the show, you mentioned that NASA was taking applicants for a Mars simulation. So I did some Googling on this. Did, did you apply to the simulation? Yes, I did. How would this work? It's <sighs> a great question. Because when I went into it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I just do Instagram stories all day. I can take podcasts all day. Be so much fun. I get a break, right? No, it's like... It is, I mean, you live on a farm with no store. Like, really think about that. Think about that. You have to, I mean, cleaning the water is going to be fun for me, whether it's, you know, poop water or not. And I love to clean water. I think it's amazing to see disgusting water than to see clear water within a process. I think it's awesome. Um, but also, uh, you know, you're going to have to farm your own food, make your own food with no water. So, so I designed a, well, I'm working on a design for, well, the feasibility of a design and then design the design for an aquaponic system for space travel, um, using different shellfish, uh, algae and, um, and a pretreatment that was actually designed for third world country, uh, wastewater issues and a tertiary treatment that, that is normally used uh, in a wastewater treatment plant. So, um, so I, I really wanna use that while I'm there. I just don't know if I can scale it in a way where it can feed eight people. How many people are supposed to be there with me? I don't know. Hopefully. I think they're all gonna leave and then you're gonna be left with just potatoes. Isn't that how this goes? No, yeah, this is how it goes. That's what's <laughs> gonna happen. I'm just gonna eat potatoes. Yeah. And then <laughs> you're quoting the Martian, right? I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I was trying to think of the actor's name to bring the reference. Matt Damon. Fully there. Yeah. If Matt Damon can do it, you can do it. That's what I'm thinking. Like, seriously, if Matt Damon can do it, I can do it. Even though he was really good at math. Really good at math. And if yeah. anyone has only seen the movie and not the book and loves math, Go read the book because they work all the equations out in the book. And you're kidding me. Well, you'll have to tell me if they're accurate, but they they go way more in depth. I, maybe I shouldn't say they work all the equations, but the movie kind of just glances by it. I can remember yeah. just pages and pages, and I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and turn the page now because I don't know what's happening. But there's That's a amazing. lot of it's a hard pass there. for me. Hard pass. No, <laughs> it's a good book. It's a good book. Well, that's I, I think I think we're all just waiting in suspense with you. And um, yeah. whether you leave the planet or you simulate leaving the planet, we hope you'll come back to tell us about it or just let us know uh, whatever these ventures hold. Because uh, we're confident that if it's not one of these, it'll be something else that's coming down the line. It's a very exciting time. And these opportunities suddenly seem to be opening up a whole new horizon for us. So lots of lots of uh, doors to be opened. Yeah, the and thing we, is, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, uh, we love uh, to Sonicast space launches. So we can actually say, listen, we know one of the, the people. Right, aboard, so yeah. We're, we're I will, for I will, you. I There's a big for overlap that. between weather fans and space fans. I, think I know. We, well, we then get... space weather, which Noah is in charge of, by the way. All right, Dr. Well, Tracy, well, did you have one more thing you wanted to add in? before yeah i mean here's the thing you know like yes there's a lot of interest in space and i'm a huge space research advocate you know this with the limitations of space it forces us to create sustainable systems that we need 
although we are still wasting. Um, so it, it, like this aquaponic system, if we can make a system that completely recycles 100% of the water, think about how much food shortage we can, we can prevent and, and all the fish farming we can bring on land and, and all of that. Um, but here's the thing, the more people that go to space, the more pictures we see of space, the more we know about space becomes less mysterious. Hmm. We start realizing it's boring. And then the, (laughs) here's the thing, earth is cooler. It, it just is, it just is. If you were on one of those other planets and you saw earth, you would be like, oh my mind blown, mind blown. What is this? We look at Mars and we're like, yep, there's some rocks. We've seen them before. Um, so here's the thing. This is this is my worry that we're not going to get everything done that we need to get done with space money before it gets boring. So I'm a big pusher for space research right now. For I like that perspective. If you're on Mars and you're looking back on Earth, you're thinking how easy they have it and boy, how are they screwing it up? Right. Yeah, that's. I like that perspective. That's why. That's why those UFOs fly by. They're just wanting to check in and see how thing, how cool things are. Well, James, I'll put this on air. But the theory that intelligent life exists elsewhere is proven by the fact that they have not contacted us yet. You know that. They don't want anything to do with us. (laughs) Come on, there's got to be something good that we could give them, like barbecue. (laughs) Ice cream and blues music. Yes. Oh, and chocolate. Took a weird. This took a weird turn. I'm trying oh, just, to just, anything just, that's just, in this room. Just, 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 just jabbing. Just kidding around. Um, there you go. There's a moss ball. We can give them that. Oh, there you go. Oh. Here's a moss ball. It might have zebra mussels in it. Good luck. Have fun. You guys heard that story, right? I don't know if I have. The moss balls. People were keeping moss balls as pets and then releasing them. But uh, some of them had zebra mussels in there that grew like crazy and caused a invasive problem. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are those the ones that were causing issues up uh, downstream from the Great Lakes? Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Great Lakes. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Interesting, right? Those are cute little balls. Yeah, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. And, And the best thing is he doesn't need much. I've had this thing in here for like five months and seems to be doing just fine. Huh. Yeah. Does Those he have to go to a fat. bigger jar at some point? No, he doesn't grow. Oh, okay. I'm not feeding him anything. He's just feeding off himself. <laughs> so he, wow. this is a completely sustainable system right here. Wow. I just want to say something straight into the camera. This won't be part of the episode, but Peter, our video editor, I'm not going to give him any notes on this episode and I'm just going to hand him the tape and say, Don't here you that. go. And then, Actually, I think, like, I think, what are they talking about? I think these I, are some good outtake clips right here. I, I like it. Well, Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, another incredible conversation. And we always look forward to having you um, as a guest with us. For those who uh, want to learn more about all that you're, uh, your hands are into because uh, we've covered a lot of stuff this evening. How? Uh, what's the best way they can follow you? Uh, they can follow me at Inspector Planet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. 
LinkedIn, Dr. Tracy Panara, same thing with uh, Facebook. You can find that that way or Inspector Planet, uh, InspectorPlanet.com uh, and the comic book you can find at SeekersOfScience.com. Awesome. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you have a good rest of the year and we look forward to uh, getting back with you real soon and talking about all the crazy stuff that's going on in the, in the science community. So I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. I can't wait to be back. Good luck. We, we hope to see you in space soon. We hope to hear the good news. So thank yeah, you. we're on team Fingers Tracy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and uh, thank you all for watching us here at the Carolina weather group. We'll see you back here real soon. And again, we couldn't fit all of our fun into tonight's episode. So to unlock extra parts of tonight's episode, visit patreon.com slash Carolina Weather Group. Just a dollar unlocks those extras. And if you want to go all in and splurge, we do appreciate the support for $3.99. You can unlock early access to upcoming episodes from the Carolina Weather Group, including next week's episode with Dr. Greg Postel. That's at patreon.com slash Carolina Weather Group. We appreciate all your support to help keep our show on the air. Until we see you next time, I'm James Briarton in Charlotte, North Carolina. Be well.